Hey, you guys, we got to tell you about Brez Coffee Company. Made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. No matter what your taste in coffee are, they got you covered. You like light or medium roast? Try the Necro Medium, Holy Grail Light, or Stamina Boost. I like the iCast Fireball mixed flavor, which is a fireball whiskey flavor. If you like dark roast like I do, then try the Critical Dark or the Coo Slayer Mocha Roast. Can't decide what you need for those all-night gaming sessions? Why don't you try one of their specialty sample packs? All roasts are made with fair trade Colombian beans. So stop buying that crappy coffee from the grocery store and head over to BrezCoffeeCo.com. That's B-R-E-Z-C-O-F-F-E-E-C-O.com and enter the code NCR at checkout for 10% off your order. Amazing! Do you like the show and you want to help support us? Do you want extra episodes every month? Do you want ad-free versions of the show? Then you should sign up over at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and you'll get your very own RSS feed to put into whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And you'll be first in line for all extra content. So head on over and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Programs and we're back for another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. Whew, it has been a week, man. Ah, oh, man. Yes, it has. I, I saw you tweeted yesterday that you asked if this was Monday part two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that- every day feels like Monday. I don't know what it is. The, the universe has decided that every day is Monday. Did the universe have the voice of Chris Pratt, though? Yes, it did. Yeah, even my <laughs> my inner monologue is is Chris Pratt now. <laughs> I mean, you might as well just have him voice everything now. I mean, if you haven't if you haven't heard, he's the uh, the voice of Garfield now, mm-hmm. in addition to uh, being the voice of Mario. So he's just crossing off the the childhood voices one by one. Yeah, so he's just going to be the voice of everything now. So I guess we just look forward to that. I mean, you could do worse. Yeah, he could do worse, but I mean, does he really have more than the one voice he has? I'm still curious as to what he's going to do with Mario, personally. I mean, even though Bill Murray was like kind of lazy and did everything in like one take and like didn't really care, he's pretty much the standard for the voice of Garfield. So, but I don't know if Chris Pratt's going to be able to pull off that Bill Murray sarcastic laziness. Well, you know, that's one of my favorite quotes from Zombieland when Bill Murray is about to die and uh, Emma Stone asks him if he has any regrets. And he's like, I don't know, Garfield, maybe. <laughs> yeah, makes me laugh every every time. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been a wild week. You know, it's uh, rapid. As I mentioned last week, I'm uh, wrapping up my job with the Blue Wahoos uh, mm-hmm. this Friday. So been um, doing a lot of prep for them to be able to attempt to run my my position without me there Mm -hmm. um so doing that and then um also got a couple of freelance gigs lined up that i'm gonna do um over the next week or so so 
Um, that started a new start a new movie script. Oh, nice! Started writing a couple of days ago. So, um, yeah, some some fun stuff in the works. It's been a very busy week, but next week's going to be even more crazy because I know we're doing the the Ghostbusters roundtable. Yes. Next week, um, I'll actually be recording a, a return appearance on the Fantastic People podcast. Oh, cool! Uh, next week to promote my new show. Uh, I'm re- we're recording it Tuesday, but it won't air until December. Yeah. A little bit closer to the new show premiere. And then, you know, back here Wednesday doing Nerd Cave Retro. Mm-hmm. So next several days are going to be really busy, but in a good way. Yeah, I um, I started my DDP yoga program again. Uh, oh, this yeah. Week, so <laughs> a little sore from that and uh, didn't get to do it today because, of course, Wednesdays are a little too busy to do anything other than work and podcasts. So. I'll be here till midnight, you know, editing and everything. So don't won't get to do it today, but that's okay. I'll kick it back up again tomorrow. You'd be surprised at the muscles you didn't know you had and you've never used until you do yoga. Yeah, it's almost like swimming in a sense that it works out almost everything. Well, swimming works out pretty much everything, but yoga does pretty much the same thing. And uh, it doesn't hurt that you have the voice of DDP yelling at you yeah. to, 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 to stretch more. Yeah. And it, it feels pretty good afterwards. And then the next morning, you're just like, my butt cheeks hurt. <laughs> they just hurt. Do you have the, the wake up workout on those DVDs that uh, I gave you? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the first DVD. That one's great in the sense that, you know, like you, I don't know if you've done it yet, but you literally start in your bed, mm-hmm. do some stretching. Then you get out of bed, go to your mat and you do like another seven minutes. And it's not really a workout. It's more like a morning stretch, but you'd be surprised at how great you feel afterwards. I, I try to do it every morning. There's a couple of times that, you know, I'll just get caught up and doing some things here before work and don't have time to do it but yeah my mornings usually end up with me frantically brushing my teeth like jumping out of bed brushing my teeth getting dressed making my coffee and getting to work uh usually late (laughs) i'm late pretty much every day but that's okay because my my boss lets me yeah but no definitely get into that if you can because you you'd be surprised at how great you feel whenever it's over yeah, I'm still on the first DVD. I haven't gotten into the big workout yet. I'm just kind of lear- relearning the moves again. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to go through it a little bit at a time, get into it slow, and then make it a regular everyday thing. Because I'm getting old and I need to be limber because I can already feel it myself starting to get stiff all the time. And I don't want to be that old man that cracks and pops every time I move. You don't want your joints to sound like Rice Krispie Treats. Yeah, they already do. So I need to to cut that off at the pass. Yeah, but no, DDP yoga is great. I know I need to get back into it as well. It's kind of crazy that, you know, a year and a half ago, I could do the hour-long workout. Yeah. And now, like, I try and do the 20-minute one, and I'm just like, oh. Yeah, the first day, I was just do. I was just learning the, relearning the moves. And going through, you know, he does, he does the, what is it called? The DDP 
uh, 12 or something like that. Oh, the diamond Sh- dozen. Yeah, the diamond dozen shows you the basic moves. And just at the end of that, I was by the by the time I got to 10, I was done. I'm like, I'm just going to watch the last two. I'm not going to do them because there's no way I can do them at this point. Yeah, but that's good that you watched it, though, and that, then you'll know what to do next time. Yeah, exactly. But we got some news to get to. Are you ready to jump into that? Let's do it. I don't know why this is so funny, but this is just funny to me. Uh, Of course, all of our news stories tonight, um, some of them were submitted to us by Armez Jackson and I Am The Rampage. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, send them to nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. And this first story is just funny. It's from our favorite site, nintendolife.com. Nintendo Switch's online expansion pack trailer is now its most disliked YouTube video ever. <laughs> I, I, that's just that headline says it all. I mean, do if I, I even... could play? If I could play the <laughs> Doctor Evil laugh, I would totally play it right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, as highlighted by our friends over at VGC, uh, I guess that's Video Game Com- Conference. Uh, is is that what that stands for? Uh, let's see. Video Games Chronicle. Oh, Video Games Chronicle has now become the most disliked trailer ever on Nintendo's main YouTube channel. How bad is it? Well, the number of dislikes have now surpassed 100,000 with only 17,000 likes. As noted by the source, the previous record holder was the E3 2015 3DS trailer for Metroid Prime Federation Force with 11,000 dislikes and 96,000 dislikes. Notably, the view count on both are quite different, which is worth taking into consideration. Federation Force has over 1.5 million views, and the NSO trailer has just over 1 million views. Um, I mean, this is just pretty much people telling Nintendo that this sucks, and we're not going to take this. (laughs) We're not just going to give you money for crap. Well, we've been saying it for years. I've said it on my show too. If you if you want to make an impact on whether or not things continue to go on the same trend that they are, don't use your money. Yeah, exactly. That's all you have to do. It's like people complain about the Fast and Furious movies, but you look at how much money they make. <laughs> people are still going to watch them, hence they're still going to be made. If you don't want them to be made, stop go going. see them. Exactly. <laughs> So if you want Nintendo to stop doing half-assed crap, don't spend your money. And in this case, pretty much troll them on their own YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, the message has... The the question will be, will they listen? Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Like, we have to get them... And Armez Jackson has joined us in the chat room. What's up, Armez? Yes. Um, I, I... this has, I mean, this has, they have to take, pay attention to this. And, and I, I'm kind of curious as to how many people have upgraded for the expansion pack. I, I don't think they've released those numbers. I don't think they will because I honestly don't think it's what they expected it to be. And I hope, I know not. I haven't done it. I haven't either. I hope it's not what they expected it to be because I want more. It's, I know they're probably thinking, oh, well, the 
Animal Crossing expansion is is worth it enough. Like, no, it's not. And the N64 emulation sucks. I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, videos that people have posted, some of the input lag that's going on there. I don't know what's going on with uh, the online uh, multiplayer stuff that some of these games have because the N64 is a very highly multiplayer console. And most of those games are multiplayer. If it's not up to snuff, people should not give them money for it. Exactly. And I I just hope that they do listen because I wasn't planning on getting it anyway. But when I saw those videos and read the articles of how the lag was bad and everything, it just cemented my decision to not upgrade. And I'm not going to until, one, they fix that. Mm. And two, they add more content. Yeah, Armez said he thought the blurb about the dislike is hilarious. The number is pumped up from that already. I mean, yeah, I haven't checked what it is now, um, but this was this article came out on Sunday, and here we are on Wednesday. So let me let's just, yeah, I'm about to look too. All right, uh, let me go to YouTube itself. One hundred and fifty-six thousand dislikes. <laughs> That's not. That's hefty. How many likes does it have? It has uh, 18,000. Yeah, that, that's pretty weighted to the point of dislike. So I, I hope, just I hope Nintendo listens. I really do. Uh, to, to close the book on this story, I just disliked it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to the I'm, trolling. I'm, I'm not petty at all. Nah. Not in the slightest. Uh, let's see our next story. I've got so many tabs open now. Um, oh, here we are. Our next story comes to us from Kotaku.com. Microsoft and Sega are teaming up for next-gen cloud gaming. With an eye towards the future, Sega is entering into a strategic alliance with Microsoft in a move that will enable the Tokyo-based game maker to take advantage of the tech giant's cloud technology. Here is how Sega describes the alliance in its own words. Sega Corporation and Microsoft have agreed in principle a strategic alliance that explores ways for Sega to produce large-scale global games in a next-generation development environment built on Microsoft's uh, Azure cloud platform. The alliance would form a key part of Sega's mid-to-long-term strategy, allowing the business to move forward with Supergame, a new initiative for developing new and innovative titles where the key focuses are global, online community and IP utilization. It represents Sega looking ahead and by working with Microsoft to anticipate such trends as they accelerate further into the future, the goal is to optimize development processes and continue to bring high quality experiences to players using Azure cloud technologies. I think with what Sega is wanting to do, teaming up with Microsoft is a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft is king when it comes to the, this side of gaming. So I, I think it's in a very easy decision. Yeah, I mean, and we talked about a while back, we thought that Microsoft and Nintendo were going to do some sort of alliance. It kind of makes sense if Sega teams up with Microsoft. Because, and I know this is kind of far out there and this is far-fetched, but, um, you know, talking about, Facebook and Meta 
the parent company uh, developing what they're calling the metaverse. I don't think, and I've heard a lot of takes on this, and I agree that I don't think Facebook is going to be the one to bring uh, the the metaverse the to the public uh, the way they want it to be. I think it's it, it, it's going to be a gaming company, and what if it's going to be? You know, Microsoft and Sega develops the first like VR world that people can go into and game in, hang out in, create their own little spaces in, and uh, you know what I'm saying? Sort of like a a sandbox world that you can go into in VR and make it accessible and cheap, so that it becomes a mainstream thing for the public. Well, I know you said this a while back on the show that that was going to be the next big avenue when it comes to gaming is VR. Mm -hmm. And we thought for years it would be Nintendo because they're the ones that experiment with new technology like we saw with the Switch. But it may not be them. It might be this alliance between Microsoft and Sega. And I'll be honest, I kind of dig the possibilities. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this because Sega, I mean for all their faults i mean they did try new things they've always been a company to try new things so uh you know it kind of makes sense for them to to join up with microsoft because sega doesn't have the pocketbook that they once had microsoft does so them teaming up like this kind of makes sense well the thing with them also is with them being out of the console game for a while yeah. They don't have to worry about sales like Nintendo has to worry. If they were to partner with Microsoft, they'd also have to worry about sales with the Switch. Well, I think with the Se cloud, Sega has no dog in the console fight. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. And also, I think that, honestly, I think this might be the last generation for designated consoles. I think cloud gaming is going to change everything. Uh, as soon as Sony's going to figure it out after uh, while you know during the lifespan of the PlayStation 5 I think Microsoft has already been kind of making headway into this since the Xbox 1 they and they're charging into it headlong and I think cloud gaming is the future and we're not going to have to have a console you're just going to need you know a controller and you know, a, 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 a VR headset or, you know, your TV and internet service and you're gaming. You're not going to need a console anymore. But just think how crazy that would be because consoles have just been around for so long. Yeah. But I, like I said, I dig the possibilities, you know, as, as, as fond of memories as I have of, the war between Nintendo and Sega back in the day with the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis and all the consoles that have come since then. It's kind of the natural progression with how big you know, cloud-based storage is. It only makes sense that that would eventually seep its way into the gaming world. Yeah, because I mean, you look at things like blockchain technology and all that stuff, it's just, it's limitless. Mm -hmm. And there's no... I mean, you're talking about <clears throat> cyberspace. I mean, it's literally un unlimited. So what we could do in that space, 
you know, with uh, furthering the technology of cloud gaming, VR, it's going to get crazy in the next, I'd say within the next 10 years, we're going to see some huge leaps and bounds as far as, as cloud gaming and VR technology goes. Oh, 100%. I'm excited, though. Me too. Uh, from the nerdstash.com, retro gaming icon Alex Kidd celebrates 35th birthday. Uh, the old school days of gaming have been invading the airwaves of the gaming industry in recent memory with nostalgic expertise from publisher Merge Games. Alex Kidd and Miracle World is celebrating his 35th birthday with the team sharing its process of bringing back the retro platformer. Uh, Merge Games is an indie developer and publisher that specializes in helping other teams reach their projects to the masses. The six-person studio of Jenkin Team approached Merge Games after the release of Streets of Rage 4. Their mission was to revitalize The Legend of Alex Kidd with the publisher's help. After a nice visit to Sega HQ, the teams were ready to get to work. Um, let's see, is there a release date? Uh, the title was released earlier this year. I didn't even know it was released. I hadn't heard anything of, about it. To very positive reception on Steam and the success of Alex, and, Alex Kidd and Miracle World DX might encourage Merge Games to explore other forgotten retro game icons. Did you ever play Alex Kidd in Miracle World back in the day? I did not. Uh, have we reviewed this game? No, we haven't. I'd like to. Uh, it is on the Sega Genesis uh, Mini. Yep. Um, and it's sort of their very first attempt at making a uh, sort of a, a Mario, uh, you know, flagship character. Right. But it didn't really take off because it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, I've I've heard of the game, and I guess it's one of those like whenever you know you reviewed Double Dragon a few weeks ago is a game that I just assumed. Oh, we probably talked about that within yeah. the first year of the show. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I'd love to go back and play the original at some point. I, I had no idea that this new Alex Kidd and Miracle World DX was already released. It looks pretty cool, though. There's a, there's a screenshot at the bottom of the article, and it, it looks... I like the look of it. I like the color. Yeah, it's a nice-looking game. I just... it It's very weird, uh, because the, the, the boss battles... Like, you, you, you have a punch <laughs> you're basically punching everything as alex mm -hmm. kid but when you get to the boss battles it's it's literally rock paper scissors right yeah shout out to <laughs> xblade 07 evening xblade yeah it's been a while xblade but uh, we should review that soon yeah no i I'd, I'd totally be okay with that and our final story for the evening comes to us once again from Kotaku.com. Nintendo shutters California and Toronto offices. Uh, Nintendo closed. Uh, this article was posted this past Friday. Nintendo closed its California office, displacing roughly 100 employees. Is it me or does that number seem kind of low? It does. But these are for satellite offices, though. True. Uh, Redwood City location was one of three main offices for Nintendo of America, which is headquartered in Redmond, Washington. That's a great trivia question, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, sources tell Kotaku the closure included the resignation of the SVP of sales and marketing, Nick Chavez, 
who announced earlier on Friday via LinkedIn that he would be joining Kentucky Fried Chicken to help them continue to grow the Yum! brands. Uh, The SVP position was previously held by Doug Bowser, who was promoted to president of Nintendo of America after the legendary uh, Reggie Philamy stepped down in 2019. Uh, And then it was updated on October 29th at 7.20 Eastern time that it was closing its Toronto office as well. I mean, my first thought is, you know, you you hate to see anybody lose their job, especially when an entire branch closes. But I don't know. Do you think it's a casualty of COVID? Possibly. And like I said, these are kind of satellite offices. But, you know, we're talking over over 100 people lost their job. You know, because of this. And it's not like Nintendo is running out of money. You know, the Switch is arguably the best-selling console of this generation. And I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's a you know a victim of COVID or maybe they're just downsizing because they just don't need these people. Or who knows? Who knows what goes on with Nintendo? They're so tight-lipped about everything. Well, I know that's been happening with a lot of businesses, too, is that they can see that, you know, one person can do two to three different jobs. And that's the problem. (laughs) Yes. Because can they do it? Sure. Can they they? do it? Can they do it long term and efficiently? No. Yeah. So So I, I think within the next year or two, a lot of these businesses that are downsizing are going to realize that they can't really do that long term. I mean, mm-hmm. short term it works because I, I think that is also uh, COVID is a reason for that. But it, it is going to change in the next couple of years once things start to get back to normal. Because as I've said before, I don't think we're going to see anything close to what we knew as normal until probably late 2022 or into 2023 yeah it says here also uh closures and restructurings of any kind are rare for nintendo the company downsized its south korea branch in 2016 and restructured nintendo of europe in 2014 which ultimately led to over 300 people being laid off former ceo the late satoru iwata was famously resistant to layoffs, telling investors they were bad for staff morale and took pay cuts during the disastrous uh, Wii U years. So maybe that is because they have a new CEO who is not as resistant to layoffs. I mean, it could be just a, a, I don't know, new world we're moving into. It's true. But it, it, it does suck, though. I mean, you hate to see people lose their jobs for that reason. Oh, Axeblade said he worked at Nintendo in the warehouse's shipping department back in 1998 when Ocarina of Time was launching. How did we never know that? How did you not tell us that? That's I, that's I would have awesome. let off with that story. That's and great. Next, In a couple of months, he's going to come back and be like, yeah, I, I stole a bunch of boxes from Nintendo, <laughs> and I have <laughs> complete uh, sealed boxes of Ocarina of Time and... Uh, <laughs> I have and I actually three I boxes sold them. of Super Mario 64. 
I sold them all, and I'm actually sending you this message from my yacht. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, good stuff. But uh, now it's time for This Month in Video Game History. In November of 1980, Stern Electronics releases Berserk with designer Alan McNeil's signature on the monitor glass of each cabinet. I love Berserk. I wish they would do an updated version of Berserk with like modern graphics and sort of like a first-person shooter, but just going through you know these mazes killing robots. That would be awesome. They should do one for... Um 2030 for the 50th anniversary. Mm. And they could have Evil Auto come back. Dude, that would be great. Why is this not happening? Why is this not done already? Yeah, that would be another list to do would be like, I don't want to call Berserk obscure, but maybe like lesser known games that you would love to see be brought back. Yeah, dude, we could do a whole show about that. No, I think we should. I think we should too. That should be a holiday show. Yeah, no, I like that. Like we each do like maybe not necessarily a top five, but we go through just the history of video games. Yeah. And we each pick five. I'm down for that. I think that'd be fun. That sounds fun. In November of 1982, Microsoft Flight Simulator 1.0 is released for MS-DOS. It becomes a standard compatibility test for early PC clones. Have you ever played... A Microsoft Flight Simulator. I never did. I always heard about it. I always seen demos of it, but I've never actually played it. There's one you can play online that is actually really cool. It, but it's very. I don't. Maybe it's just me and not being very coordinated, but it can be very hard to land your plane. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm sure it's hard you, in real life too. <laughs> usually, mine mine uh, result in death. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but either way, like the flight flight simulators are fun. Just you know, because you get to see, especially now with how advanced maps are, you can see like all around the world. <laughs> Reminds me of Indiana Jones. Fly, yes. <laughs> Land, no, no. <laughs> uh, oh man! <laughs> November of 1986, Sega releases Alex Kidd in Miracle World. It is the first game in the Alex Kidd series. Created for this character and most popular of all Alex Kidd games. Talked about that uh, a little earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we should play this game fairly soon and maybe do like a dual review for it. We should. That sounds like a like a good thing to do because I, I yeah. still haven't played it. I haven't either. So that that'd be interesting. The fact that neither of us have played it before. Yeah. November 18th of 1998, Traveler's, uh, Traveler's Tales and Sonic Team release Sonic R for the Sega Saturn. Which one was Sonic R? I don't remember this the, one. This is a game that I want to review at some point because it, it's not a good game. Like The controls are terrible. The graphics are bad. But I like it. it it's, it's a Sonic racing game. But it makes no sense because Sonic should be able to just literally run laps around everyone. Yeah. This just look. God, this HUD is just a mess. Oh, it's (laughs) it looks awful, but it has some of the 
annoyingly catchiest music mm, in sure the entire Sonic franchise. Uh, okay. it's so it's so bad it's good. Axeblade just dropped another bomb on us <clears throat> in the chat room. He says, "Now uh, is now a good time to say I also did early game testing on prototype games that were launch games on the original Xbox. They gave us free software like full office products for playtesting for a few hours." Okay, you're coming on the show for an interview here soon. Yes. Because you've lived a life that we need to pick your brain. Yeah, I have questions. I have lots of questions. As I'm sure you have questions, too. (laughs) And yes, he says Sonic R sucked. It does suck. It's it's not a good game, but it's one of those guilty pleasure games that I have. Maybe you should review it. Have you ever reviewed it? I have not. Maybe I'll review... Maybe I'll review that next week. You're due for a bad one. <laughs> you know what? Why not? I'll review Sonic okay. R next week. Sounds good to me. I, I had no clue what I was going to review next week, so awesome. why not? I'll do Sonic R. There we go. It's decided. Uh, now for a good game, November 22nd, 1999, Rare releases Donkey Kong 64 for the Nintendo 64. Said it multiple times, this game gets way more hate yeah. than it should have. Is it a little too big is there a little too much to do as far as collecting items go yes but it's still fun like the fact that you can play as five different characters with five different abilities it makes for a unique playing experience all around and it's probably i I would say one of the few in 64 games that you can still go back and play and not feel like it's just, bleh, I hate the controls, I hate this controller, why am I doing this to myself? Because it, it came along late in the N64's run, and mm. you you can watch as, the, as that um, console progresses, the games do look better, and they play better mm. as it goes on, so I, mean, I, I like... I like Donkey Kong 64. It still has, you know, some. Uh, the, the graphics aren't great, but they're not terrible for the they're they're the better end of the N64 graphics. Yeah. Let's see. And to close this out, I I actually got a kick out of this story. On November 12th, 2000, the Sega World Sydney Amusement Park closes its doors for good after 3 years of operation. Three have you ever <laughs> have you ever heard of Sega World Sydney? Never. This is the first time I've ever heard of this. So let me educate you and the listeners on this, because I, I, <laughs> I didn't know about this until I was looking up stuff for this month in gaming history. It was an indoor high-tech amusement park that operated in Sydney, Australia. It was the flagship tenant of the Darling Walk Complex in Darling Harbor and was designed and themed by gaming company Sega as one of several Sega World branded amusement parks. It had rides such as the Rail Chase, an indoor mine train roller coaster, a tank simulator called Mad Bazooka, an interactive ghost train called Ghost Hunters, a 4D cinema, a children's play area themed on Nickelodeon. But my favorite, and I need to look this up on YouTube because I'm sure somebody has it, a 90-minute live Sonic the Hedgehog show. What? That was based around the Saturday morning cartoon. (laughs) And here's the premise of the show. 
Dr. Robotnik's death egg crash lands in Australia instead of Angel Island, and he attempts a hostile takeover. This sounds awesome, actually. I want to see this. Like, uh, there has to be video on YouTube. Oh, dude, you missed another. You missed one of the greatest sounding rides on here. AS1, a motion simulator ride depicting the futuristic chase of a criminal. The ride starred Michael Jackson as the spacecraft captain. But was the criminal smooth, though? Was he smooth? And was he, <laughs> was, if he was the captain, was he Captain EO? Maybe. I think Disney gonna sue somebody. I mean, the, the parks, <laughs> it's been dead for years, so. But I'm sure they'd find a way to do it anyway. Probably by the time they heard about it, they were like, hey, we're going to sue them. Oh, they're closed? Okay, never mind. Oh, man. So the show was shut down after one year due to lack of interest from Sega. You don't say. (laughs) Um, Sega was on its way to basically bankruptcy at the point. So Yeah, it was quickly replaced with a puppetry-based remake. How does that sound better? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> seriously how the hell does that sound better than a live action sonic show i don't know i began performing in 98 until the park closed in 2000 wow i never heard of this at all this is I totally new to me i didn't either until i saw it i was like what is sega world sydney and i just read <laughs> i read the whole thing and was like oh my god this sounds amazing wow well, before we go into our review for tonight, we like to do a little thing where we shout out our patrons, and I'm going to let Derek handle that for me. As always, we like to shout out our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We want to shout out Xblade07, Daniel Salmon, Armez Jackson, Hand Solo, Carlos Longoria, Staff Sergeant Sketch, Brandon Rutledge, Gus and Penny, Matthew Salmon, Joey Image, Ron Johnson, Mixmaster, and Mike Eveland, who will also be joining us for the Ghostbusters Roundtable mm-hmm. on the Derek Diamond Experience. So very much looking forward to chatting with him about that. And of course, thank you to the patrons who I just named for keeping the lights on for us here at the Nerd Cave Retro Show. If you want to be a part of our awesome community and get access to fun commentary tracks, like Clue, like Super Mario Brothers, Big Trouble in Little China, Transformers the Movie, The Real Ghostbusters. We've done a countless number of commentary tracks at this point. Or if you want to vote on some things we review, we post up a poll every now and then asking what you would like us to review. So if you want to be a part of our awesome Patreon community, just head on over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And for new patrons, send us your social media, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, email, so we can give you a proper shout out. And I'm going to put up a poll soon too for our patrons for what we're going to commentate on in November. So if you want to get in on that, um, it's actually the beginning of the month. So it's a great time to get in on the Patreon. Are you going to let me and Wally pick? Uh, no, it's just going to be one thing in the poll, and it's just going to be what I pick. <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. Uh, I, but I got to find out what you guys want to pick for your uh, your Thanksgiving commentaries. You, so. you you already said mine. Okay. All right. So, well, I, so I know what I'm going to pick, good. but I'm probably yeah. going to lose anyway. So doesn't it doesn't matter. 
<laughs> It'll be good regardless of yeah. what it's. But uh, tonight, I'm going to be talking about... that awful rendition of the uh, Ghostbusters theme, if you play the original NES game, you're going to be hearing it a lot, because that's the only music in the entire game. Let's start there. (laughs) All right. Ghostbusters is a licensed game by Activision based on the film. It was designed by David Crane and released for several home computer platforms in 1984. Uh, it was uh, originally it had come out around that time uh, for the Atari 2600. That was the first time I really played this game was for the Atari 2600, and then it was ported to the Sega Master System and the NES. And uh, I think it was around eighty. It was an early, early release for the NES. It doesn't have an exact date for when it was released on the NES. And uh, it's a very, here's the thing. This game was developed for, you know, I think the early, like the Commodore 64 and the Atari 2600. So it was a very kind of simple game. Um, And that was just basically just ported to the NES with very little upgrades. So you're basically playing what's essentially a, an Atari 2600 game on the NES, and it's terrible. I didn't even have to play it this week because I've played this game enough in my life and was disappointed enough in it as a kid when I rented this to to put myself through that uh, horribleness of having to play it. Because I can tell you, the basically what it has, it has this kind of o- overview... Uh, of the city, um, where psychokinetic energy levels have begun to rise. Uh, The player is given a set amount of money and must use it to buy vehicle and equipment uh, upgrading uh, in order to catch ghosts. Uh, And basically what you do is you go through these little crappy driving sequences to go around the city to where you see there's like a flashing building. You want to go to that building. So you do that, you get in the Ecto-1, and you basically have to... Uh, dodge obstacles and pick up gas cans in the street. I don't know how that works uh, to fill up the gas in the Ecto-1. And it's pretty awful. It's pretty bad. And then you you get to where um, where you're going and basically the ghosts, you get out and you're sitting there shooting um, straight up into the air while ghosts go back and forth across the screen, the screen, and you try to catch them in the trap, and doing that gets you money. And then you go to the uh, store screen, and you buy more upgrades for your equipment, and then the whole process starts all over again until, um, as the game progresses, uh, you have to keep free-roaming ghosts from reaching the Temple of Zul, which is in the very middle uh, each one that does so adds to the PK energy level. The ghosts uh, occasionally merge to form the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man who will attempt to trample a city block. Uh, stopping such an attack earns a bonus, but each failure to do so deducts money. 
eventually you get to the the point where um, the middle building, the Zool building, starts flashing. You go to it, and you, then you go through this ridiculously long and unnecessary climb of your three Ghostbusters up the building, trying to dodge ghosts, which is very hard to do, uh, to get to the top, which then you will fight Zool. And if you win, then you have completed a, a great game. Uh, go rest our heroes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty I, much. The I don't game. even. I don't even know what to say because I've looked at pictures. I've watched some gameplay. Who, who made the clearance? Who made the approval to say, you know what, this is good. Let's put it out. Well, considering the amount of horsepower <clears throat> the NES had over the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. You would think that they would have made a better game to put to use on the NES. I mean, if they would have made a decent game, they would have made so much... I mean, I guess this game did well because it's not a rare game at you know by any stretch of the imagination. I bought a copy of it, I think, for around seven bucks at my local retro gaming shop. And that's what I got to say about this game. If you're in the in the market to actually play a decent Ghostbusters game, this is not it. If you're a Ghostbusters fan or if you're an NES collector, it's a good thing to have in the collection just because it's Ghostbusters. You're never going to play it. This game is not playable at all. It's just so it's such a disappointing suck fest. But make for an interesting conversation starter, at least. Yeah, well, Axe Blade said I paid five bucks too much for it. That that could be argued, but I am a Ghostbusters fan, and I like to have it just to, uh, you know, as a conversation piece, I guess. Plus, yeah. you know, as a Ghostbusters fan, I feel like I need to have it. I mean, it makes sense if you're a Ghostbusters fan that you want to have as much, like, unique Ghostbusters memorabilia as possible. And I think um, this would be one. Go, it topped the monthly UK software sales chart for three months in early 85 from January to March. Uh, it went on to be the UK's fourth best-selling home video game of 1985. Hmm. They must not have had a lot of video games. Yeah, I guess not. It was I crazy mean, it was released before the movie came out. Yeah, and I, that's weird. I don't know how that worked out. Yeah. Well, I guess because it, you're you're also looking at uh, you know movies were also staggered back then too, so you know the American release might have been you know three or six to nine months before it was released in the UK uh, or around the world because this this way things worked back then. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, it's not a good game on a scale of one to ten. It's probably a three. But if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you know, I'd pay a couple of bucks for it to have a copy of it just to have in your Ghostbusters collection. Yeah, it sounds like that would be really its only purpose. So now on to Ghostbusters 2. Um, I never played this until this last week, and um, I I didn't know really know what to expect. I knew it was going to be arguably probably better than the first game. And I did a, uh, a stream of it 
And uh, this one came out in 1990. Uh, it was developed by Imagineering and published by Activision. Uh, it was based on the film and sort of loosely followed the the game. Like the game actually starts off with a decent, you know, graphic representation of Vigo, you know, saying he's going to take over New York or whatever. And you start the game as uh, it doesn't even show you what Ghostbuster you are. You're just a generic Ghostbuster. The graphics aren't that great, so there's no real level of detail in anything. So you start out going down into the sewer, and you don't even get to use your proton pack. You're basically using uh, the goo gun, but you're shooting green goo instead of the, the pink goo like in the movie. Right. Don't. <clears throat> I I don't have an explanation for that. So basically, you're you use it. You're, it's like a side-scrolling shooter. Is basically what it is. And you're going through and you're dodging things like there are random heads that bounce through the scene, uh, bounce through the screen trying to hit you. One of them actually, I've commented on the stream that I look. One of the heads looked like my uh, history teacher, Mister Pope from high school. <laughs> So every time he bounced onto the screen, I was like, "Oh, it's Mr. Pope," and um, and then there are like random hands that kind of fall off the wall and try to hit you. And you're going through, and there's uh, Ghostbusters logos that come through the screen. You hit those, and I guess if you collect like ten or twenty of them, you get an extra life. I'm not sure what was going on really. And of course, there's another thing that was weird about the game. <clears throat> Sometimes it just felt like. You'd get hit once and be dead, and sometimes you could take two or three hits and before you would die. And I couldn't really tell why, like what was the what was causing me to build up extra hits or whatever. I'm not I'm not quite sure what was going on in the game. Sounds to me like the developers didn't know what was going on either. I, it. Both of these games, especially the first game, just felt like uh, lazy shovelware, basically. It just the, it, the laziest form of, of game making. It sounds to me like they thought this will sell because it has the Ghostbusters name and exactly. brand. So we don't have to put a lot of time and energy into it. Just because put the, people will buy it. Yeah, just put anyway. Throw something on there, something that's playable, and make it kind of follow the movie a little bit. And we'll throw it out there and put a fifty dollars price tag on it, and these poor kids will get it for Christmas. So I I basically got to level three, which um, level two is a driving sequence, which is kind of like the turbo tunnel, and. Um, Battletoads, but at least in Battletoads, uh, the, uh, there wasn't ghosts shooting stuff at you. So you're trying to dodge, uh, you know, obstacles in the street, jump over things, and you're trying. And, and New York had horrible uh, sinkholes apparently in the in the late '80s because there would be the uh, little uh, arrows on the street before the sinkhole, and you have to line up with the arrow to get a boost to jump over the the sinkhole and most of the time I'd be aiming for for the 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 arrow and then the arrow would move and I would just kind of fall into the sinkhole I'm like kind of shit is that like that's that's like what are you doing this is for kids why do you hate children 
who knew they would factor in the great sinkhole crisis of 89 <laughs> exactly like man <laughs> this city was horrible back then and then of course you you you're shooting green goo out of the ecto-1 and it's the most horrible horrible kind of shooting uh mechanic that you can put in a game where it only shoots one at a time like you have multiple ghosts you're shooting at but if you shoot and you miss you have to wait for the that green ball to complete its course before you can shoot again it's not like a turbo type of shooting situation where you can just keep going and unless you're lucky enough to because you shoot out the top too and there are you know uh the logos and stuff you can hit like up at the top of the buildings and if you manage to hit one of those then you'll get a power up and it's either you get shields for the uh the ecto one which you can run in the stuff and not take damage or you get an upgrade to your um your goo shooter and you get raspberry uh colored goo which you can then shoot a a turbo style so if you're lucky enough to do that then you get to shoot normally but can you give them the raspberry like lone star i actually mentioned that in the in the the game because that when the ghosts shoot goo at you which is the raspberry goo and if you get hit it completely covers uh, the Ecto one, and you just like can't move, and that's basically like a hit on your life. And uh, I during the stream, I was like, only one man would dare give me the raspberry. <laughs> that makes me so happy. <laughs> but yeah, you get through that. It's not that long. It's basically a lot of memorization to get through it, um, and it's relatively easy after you know. 15 times of going through it. <laughs> I finally got to where I could go through it without dying. Then you get to the courtroom scene. Holy crap. There was so much going on <laughs> in this thing. I mean, there's random pieces of bacon doing figure eights in the middle of the courtroom that you you can't shoot and you have to dodge. But your player moves so slow that if you don't, judge it right at the perfect moment to move it's going to hit you every single time you've got slimer looking ghosts going through you've got hands coming after uh no um judge gavels that fall off the the wall and then for some reason chase you down you gotta maneuver past those and if you can get through all this melee of crap then you get to what i think was one of the Scolari brothers, but it was just one, and he looked like Slimer because he was green. I'm not quite sure, but I hit him like a thousand times, and he never died. So I, I never made it past the courtroom scene. So I don't know what else to say about the game at that point. It's just disappointing whenever, you know, like, because us as fans, we want like an adapt an adaptation of a game or of a movie to be good mm-hmm. but it's just like nine times out of ten you hear stories like this where they're just they're just not <laughs> and i'm gonna give this one a score of three out of ten <laughs> much like the first game i don't recommend i mean it's playable i'll put it that way it's much more playable than the first game but its frustration factor is 
through the roof, so you're not going to have fun playing it. Unless you're a Ghostbusters fan, that's the only reason to have a copy of this game. Is if you're a collector of Ghostbusters items, this is one of the things you have to have. Or if you're an NES collector completionist, that's the only reason to have this game. Because you are not going to be pulling this one off the shelf going, hmm, I think I'm going to play some Ghostbusters 2. Not going to happen. <clears throat> but you did mention that there was a different version of this game. Yes, which brings us to... Here, let me pull up the page here. New Ghostbusters 2. It was developed for the NES and Game Boy, both developed and published by HAL Laboratory in 1990 in Japan and 1992 in the PAL region. The NES version was never released in North America due to licensing issues with Activision. As a result, NES players in North America only received Activision's Ghostbusters 2 game. HAL also developed a Game Boy version of New Ghostbusters 2, simply titled Ghostbusters 2, which they also published in Japan, while Activision published it in North America and PAL regions. Dude, the it's such a weird world back then compared to now. Like, you have a publisher that makes a game, it's worldwide. You know, every country basically gets the same version of the game. Wasn't like that back back then. There were so many weird uh, regions and uh, licensing issues. Like, the reason we didn't get this game is because Activision had the North America license of this game. Which astounds me and gives me gas that <laughs> we never got this game in America. I started playing this game the uh, uh, on the stream just because I have a ROM of this game. Never played it before. Never touched it because I thought it was the version, the the North American version. Uh, I So I started playing it and I've never played it before. It's freaking great. You get to play like Okay, to first to start off, it, the 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 title screen is in a movie theater, and it says "New Ghostbusters 2." It looks gorgeous. The music is so much better. It's such a great eight-bit chip tune rendition of the Ghostbusters theme. Slimer comes out of the screen. You see the Ghostbusters coming down the aisle. It's great. I'm already just like, okay, this is already looking better just at the title screen. Then you go into the game and you get to pick your Ghostbuster. You get to pick Ray. You get to pick uh, Egon. You get to pick Winston. You get to pick Peter. And if you want to, you get to pick Lewis Tully to accompany you on your mission. It's basically, um, it is a one-player game, uh, but you get to play as two different Ghostbusters. It's sort of a, it reminds me of, it reminded me of uh, uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, that sort of three-quarter top-down view, that Zelda view um, of a game, and um, it's very gorgeous to look at because you get to play as two different Ghostbusters, and the Ghostbusters look great. They look like, um, they look like pop figure versions of Ghostbusters, like in the game, like you're playing little pop Funko Pop versions of the Ghostbusters and you pick your two Ghostbusters and you start out in uh, the courthouse 
which it basically follows the story of, of the movie. You start out in the courthouse, and one of the Ghostbusters, the main Ghostbuster that you uh, control, um, uses the proton pack to, and there, you know, there's slimers and all kind of ghosts running around in the building. You trap, you hold the ghost with the proton pack, and then the with the A button, and then with the B button, you hold the B button, and the second player, whoever your the other Ghostbuster is, throws the trap out, and you trap the ghost, and then you move on to the next area. <coughs> Fantastic gameplay idea, and I think it's said here. Um, as far as it was a one-player game, but you could have a secondary... Yeah, so uh, on the NES, a secondary player may join the game with the ability to press B on the second controller to release a ghost-catching trap. So you wouldn't be able to control the other... If you were a second player, you were just in charge of throwing the trap out, which would be, you know, kind of fun uh, if you wanted to play this sort of as a two-player type of game and it was kind of weird to get used to you know when you're playing with as two ghostbusters because sometimes you the other ghostbuster follows slightly behind you and sometimes you'll turn a corner and be trying to uh, hold the ghost and he shoots the trap out in the wrong direction because he's not facing the same way you are so you got to kind of you know work with that a little bit but other than that it's it's really good. The music's great. The graphics were gorgeous. Of course, you get to the end of that first level. You make your way through the courthouse. You go into the actual courtroom. And guess who your first boss is? The Scolari brothers. And they look like the Scolari brothers. And you you fight them and trap them. And it's freaking awesome. And I, I was just like, why? Why? Why did we not get this version of the game in America? This would have been an instant classic on the NES if this version would have been released in America. Well, it's like the other day when you texted me about this whole situation. I'm like, it makes no sense to me why this other version would be. And I get like the licensing rights and everything, but it just doesn't make any sense to me that things were like that. I know it was commonplace, but it just sucks that we never got that version of the game. If I would have gotten to play this version of the game as a kid, this would have been one of those games that would have just been, you know, like just gone down in history as probably one of the great NES games. Oh, for sure. Even as an adult, like sitting here talking about it makes me want to play it. Like, if you have a way to, you know, actually, I looked it up on eBay. You can get the PAL version of the game for roughly about 65 bucks. And if you want to get a version, that version of the game, make sure you're getting the one. The, the way you can tell the difference is not only the, you know, the American version has, it's the same picture of the Ghostbusters um, with the Ghostbusters 2 logo behind them, but it's a blue background. That's the American version, and it says Activision. The nor the PAL version is a black background, and it says uh, HAL Laboratory on it. So if you're looking for the PAL version, that's the one you want to go for, is the one with the black background. You've sold me on this. I, I kind of want to play it just to to see how it is. I'm getting a you copy talking about of how it, good it is because I just have a ROM of it. 
And right. I'm totally 100% uh, going to get a an actual NES version of this game. This would have been, should have been, could have been one of the greatest games, greatest licensed games for the NES at the time. That damn Activision. This makes that me angry. Activision. Makes me so angry because this is the game I wanted as a kid and didn't get it because Activision wanted to put out a, a basically shovelware turd of a game. So this Game Boy version, is it the PAL version or is it the Activision version? I think so. I didn't uh, look it up, but um, let me see. Ghostbusters 2... 1990 action game. Uh, I because I couldn't find uh, wiki it's, page for it. It says here under release on Game Boy. It says North America, with the developer being HAL Laboratory. Yeah, uh, here's but then it says Activision had the rights for North America. Yeah, I think it was. Yes, it does look a lot like it. I'm looking at some of the screenshots here from the uh, the Game Boy version. It. It does look like the uh, the PAL version. Just you know, it's Game Boy. It's black and white. It's not full color, right? But I'd be interested in actually playing this uh, version because it looks exactly like it. Like I'm like yeah. you can actually see the little characters. Um, you know, P- you can look at Peter. He's got the little receding hairline and everything. Yeah, like, you can tell which Ghostbuster is which. I wonder if either of my local retro gaming stores have this because i'd be interested to play it i'm very interested in playing it too i I'm, i wouldn't mind just having a copy of it just to have even though i don't have a game boy i just want to have it because i'm a ghostbusters fan right no i mean that's reason enough to have it but i just i can't believe that this game was sitting there this whole time and you damn Europeans got to play it. <laughs> <laughs> and us Americans had to had to play crap, basically. We had to play the table scraps that were provided by Activision. Yeah. It, it was basically, you know, uh, in 1988 when, you know, Activision got the rights to the Ghostbusters 2 game, like the movies, you know, just being uh, shot or whatever. <clears throat> or even later, maybe the movie was out. I don't know. But Activision got the, the the licensing rights, and he's like, "Hey, Chet, the intern. Yeah, boss, you're staying here this weekend, and you're gonna uh, make a Ghostbusters two game for us." He's like, "Okay, boss." And like a one dude, like had to sit in a broom closet over the weekend. You know, he had to he had to make this, and he had to go over to Capcom and and make the Noid uh, the next weekend. <laughs> he just walked in the broom closet and just yeah. Let's see what I can knuckles do like, here. all right, let's do this. <laughs> but yeah, I this was from what little I played. I'm, I don't want to give it a, an actual gr- grade because I only got to to like the second level. And the second level is actually you go down in the sewers, and down there you got to to see, you know, go, um, mining ghosts and mining cars and like all kind of cool stuff down in there. And I was like, man, I really want to play into this game. Um, but I didn't get too far into it. But just from what I've seen so far, it looks great. It looks great. We should have gotten this game here. You've sold me. I, I want to play this. I really do. Yeah. 
So I don't like I said, I'm not going to grade it, but if you're interested in playing it, like I said, it's available on eBay. You can pick up the PAL version for roughly 65 bucks. And um, if you're looking for Ghostbusters, I looked that up too. The original NES Ghostbusters, it's up to like 20 bucks now. I'm like, no, no, don't pay $20 for Ghostbusters because it is not worth the plastic. It isn't even worth the $20 that they're asking for it. Maybe if you take the zero off, it would be more accurate. Yeah, I'd pay like 18. I, you know, I, I would probably pay seven bucks again just to have it. If I didn't have it, I'd pay five to seven bucks for it. Other than that, hell no. That makes sense, though, for the reasons that we described. But that's what I, that's all I got to say about Ghostbusters this week. Um, I wanted to keep the Ghostbusters train alive until the new movie comes out in a few weeks. And uh, there are good Ghostbusters games out there. Go play the, uh, especially Ghostbusters, the video game that originally came out on in 360. They did a, uh, you can get it for the Switch right now. They did a, um, a, a remaster. remaster. Oh man, that game that is the definitive Ghostbusters video game experience. Yeah, I plan on starting that at some point before the movie comes out cuz I'm playing through Skyward Sword right now. Once I beat that, I'm going to go through Ghostbusters next. And from what I hear, um the Ghostbusters Sega Genesis game is really good. Um so I'd love to do a review of that one day. Um, but I, I got to get my Sega Genesis in working order. I, I need to get some new, uh, cables for it to get it up to, to functioning. So hopefully I can get that done over the holidays and, uh, start doing some, some little obscure Sega Genesis games. Yeah. I like that. So next week you said you're doing, uh, what were you doing again? Oh yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll fall on the sword for everyone and I'll review Sonic <laughs> R. Awesome. I can't wait to hear this. The The bad games are usually the most fun to review, though. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I haven't played that game in several years. I used to have it for PC. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had fun streaming Ghostbusters 2 because, you know, like uh, a couple of our listeners joined me in there. Uh, like Rampage joined in. Uh, Tyler joined in. And uh, everybody kind of cycled in and out. But, you know, we were having fun just marveling at how awful that game really was so yeah. it was fun on that end if you're gonna play it for the uh the you know for the the crap factor and the making fun of it yeah it's worth it but it's that is definitely not these games are not something i'm gonna sit and play just be like you know what i think i want to play some ghostbusters on the nes that's never gonna happen <laughs> ever uh, if so, you might want to check on that person. Yeah, <laughs> they might have it. <laughs> if I ever say that, that's a head injury. So please take yeah. me to the hospital. If I ever put that on Twitter, that means that I've been kidnapped and I somehow got my phone and that's the thing I could write to let you know that I'm in trouble. I'll keep that in mind, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that's going to do it for this week. Um, what you got going on with the, uh, Derek diamond experience. So the farewell tour of the Derek Diamond experience hmm. continues. And I actually did what I truly believe might be the best interview I've ever done on the show or on the history of my show. It's with a filmmaker named Gigi Hosima, and her story is insane. Hmm. So to give you the Cliff Notes version, 
She grew up in Saudi Arabia with nine siblings, moved to England to study filmmaking without knowing how to speak a word of English. <laughs> wow. And I will leave it there. This is going to be a good interview. It was, it was really, really, it was a great story to hear. And now she's a successful indie filmmaker in New York city. So awesome. It was, it was great getting to chat with her. Um, would love to have her on, you know, when I do my new show, um, whenever she has another film to promote, but yeah, that'll be out, uh, this Thursday. If you want to follow the Derek diamond experience on social media, uh, it's at D Diamond Podcast. Next week, we'll be recording a Ghostbusters roundtable with me, you, Wally Phelps, and Mike Evelyn from our friends at B Res Coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll be released the week of uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Speaking of which, so- we need to uh, get together this weekend and re record our B Res Coffee ad because it still yes. says Brez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. Just let me know when you want to do it. Okay. We'll, uh, We'll, we'll get it knocked out. And then if you want to follow my new show, Feature Presentation, on social media, it's at Feature Prez Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I've been trying to post a couple of you know relevant news stories, and I'll sprinkle in some actual filmmaking stuff as well to kind of lead up to the launch in January. Awesome. I can't wait till you, till you relaunch it and see what all the new stuff you're going to do with the new show. I, I know who I want as my first guest, and I'm going to send the pitch out tomorrow. I don't want to jinx it, but I'll just say that it would fit on multiple levels. Hmm. Awesome. So, uh, as far as the Open Micers podcast, last week um, our guest was a no-show, so we did an impromptu Halloween episode, which was probably one of the funniest episodes we've ever done, which... Uh, we talked about um, our favorite, um, basically our, our top kills in 80s horror movies. And it was a fun episode to do. Um, this week, we just got done earlier talking with uh, Florida headlining comedian Tech Johnson. That was a pretty fun interview. Uh, he's a hilarious dude, so that's going to be released this Friday. But definitely go check out the impromptu Halloween episode Probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done for uh, the Open Micers podcast. It's funny how just impromptu things and like stuff you just don't expect at all turn out to be like some of the best content you record. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was by far, you know, as far as the, the host episodes we do without a guest, that was definitely probably the best one we've ever done. I can't wait to hear it. But uh, yeah, go check that out at Open Micers and Open Micers Podcast on uh, on Facebook. So that's everything for this week, I think, isn't it? That's everything. I think so, yeah. All right. Well, let me play our music here. I got to pull our volume up. There we go. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Um, actually, facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. Go get some merch. We got some new designs. We got a new uh, Thanksgiving t-shirt up there. Uh, Thanksgiving the Revenge 
Because if you need a funny shirt to wear for your Thanksgiving dinner, now's the time to go get it. Plus, there's a sale going on for this week. So go over there at ncrmerch.com. And, of course, we have our Patreon, patreon.com slash Retro, where if you keep us above $50 a month, we keep doing the commentary episodes. If you can't do that, please leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So, Derek, please tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Master Blaster runs by the town.